We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How to build the permanent championship window in Dynasty. That's what we'll be talking about this week on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. You can find my Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. I just uh, had a post announcing my plans for August and the 2021 season. So go check that out. You can find that all right at that address. And with me, as always, is Sean Siegel, the king of young players, the king of so many things, but I'm super excited to talk to you about Dynasty. A lot of what I've learned about Dynasty as as someone who has not played for quite as long, I think, as a lot of people in this industry. I've played for about five years now. Uh, A lot of what I've learned is sort of just tailing you in this this area. But Sean, how are you doing? How how excited are you to, to be really breaking down the Dynasty concept and especially these Rotovis Tri-Flex Leagues, which are a fantastic new product over at FFPC. Yeah, it's, it's exciting to get to chat with you about Dynasty. We have Ryan McDowell, who is sort of the leading mind in the entire Dynasty industry, who's going to come on the third show and break down for us how to dominate all of your different Dynasty formats. We'll talk with Ryan a little bit about some auction. Um, I've had a chance to play in his kitchen sink leagues for a number of years. And despite the, I would say good fortune that I've been lucky enough to have in high stakes leagues through the years, I think maybe my, my favorite win or the league I'm most proud of winning would be the kitchen sink five in 2019, a 48 team field four conferences. Uh, my conference has Ryan has Curtis Patrick, sort of the other huge name in dynasty who were fortunate to have, doing great Dynasty content for Rotoviz. And then I just wanted to give a shout out too to our fantastic Devi team right now. Those kitchen sink leagues include a Devi element. You've got to be good with the college guys. We have Travis May doing great work. Stefan Laco, Matt Wispy. Uh, check out all of their stuff. I've got an article on Devi auctions up on the site, kind of looking at how you can rebuild your Dynasty team through Devi if you're taking over a dispersal if you're you know, in a startup, that kind of thing, and you want to get really deep and you want to build, again, this permanent championship window. But Ben, you mentioned it. We're really excited about it. The Rotoviz Triflex Dynasty Leagues with the FFPC. Uh, this is a format started up this year, and 
it's an absolute blast. I think people were excited to play it, but the message that I've got from people who are actually in these leagues, they're having more fun even than they expected, right? So you have the super flex element, you have the start three wide receiver instead of just start two, you have two additional flexes beyond the super flex. So you have these deep starting lineups, you have the tight end premium that the FFPC is so famous for. And so you get into these leagues and there are a lot of different directions you can go. The super flex, and we know that in Dynasty, super flex leagues, that that first round is going to be very QB heavy, especially right now where we have these young dual threat QBs who uh, dominate in so many ways, score so many points, and hopefully will have very long windows in which they will be impacting the NFL but then we obviously have running backs. Even in Dynasty, you need to have some of that running back firepower. We know we want the wide receiver depth. We know that players like Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller are still going to be field tilters at the tight end position. But we have to determine what we're going to do with them because you know they're not spring chickens anymore. We talked a little bit with Rich last week about Travis Kelsey at age and redraft, even a trickier element in this Dynasty formats. So there's so much going on here, and I love the fact that these leagues are very balanced. And so if you don't get the 101, you're still very much alive, very much in it. And then there are a lot of trades going on. And I think that's one of the most fun things about Dynasty. We'll talk a lot about trading, player values, who you want to get, how you execute those trades in our second show of the week, our sort of player-centric show. But Ben, there's a lot to get into here. And as always, it's a lot of fun to go over this concept with you. We've talked about young player. We've talked about breakouts. We talked about Dynasty a little bit in our thinking across formats segment where we talked about how you can learn from dynasty and apply that to redraft but this week it's going to be really all about dynasty right and that makes you know a lot of sense obviously in those shows for anyone who has been listening to us for a while now you know that we were talking a lot about how you can uh win through youth in redraft and so naturally if you're thinking (laughs) what our opinion on dynasty is going to be we're going to have a lot of a lot of thoughts about that but I also want to just reiterate what you said about this format. It's fantastic. And I think for people who, and probably anyone who's listening to our show, the concepts that we get into are probably familiar with Superflex, Titan Premium, and those things. But for anyone who maybe has been intimidated about the, uh, by the concept of Superflex or is trying to convince their league mates to, to consider Superflex or Titan Premium or some of these additional elements, it's sort of hard to explain why, why we all push it so much and, and enjoy these things so much. And at the same time, it's sort of easy. It's it's what Sean just said about the balance. When you play in these leagues, what you recognize is, number one, it's a lot easier to actually build the type of team that you want to build because drafts aren't so heavy at any position in areas of, of different areas of the draft. So you can, you can go where you want to go all throughout the draft, and you don't get boxed out of um, so many players like you do in, you know, single quarterback and non-tight end premium leagues, you can get boxed out pretty easily because just quarterbacks tight ends aren't going high, right? But when you play in a league like this that includes elements that bump up the value of tight end and significantly bump up the value of quarterback, which I think is really important as this league goes, that the NFL goes more and more pass heavy and creates just so many more interesting quarterbacks that, I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can fill this position for fantasy. Having the ability to to do a draft where you can you can maneuver and decide really how you want to get your hands on your guys at every position. And every position is important. You want to have guys at quarterback now. You want to have guys at tight end. 
um, where those can kind of feel like throwaways a little bit in the single, you know, the onesie leagues. So it, it is phenomenal. And, and, and look, yeah, this is still a, a, you know, one tight end league, but with the two additional flexes and tight end premium, you can definitely be strong at tight end and play multiple tight ends. So there's a lot of ways that this, in my opinion, this type of format, even in just redraft can just, it, well, it's like once you try it, you won't go back kind of a thing. It's not as intimidating as it feels. You get in these drafts and you're like, wow, this is so much fun. This is so much more fun to have the flexibility that I had. You really honestly only have to do one or two of these and you'll be you'll be hooked. But where I'm, I'm referencing redraft where it's even more fun is dynasty because you can build any way you want. I mean, it is very viable to build through really strong young quarterbacks like you were just talking about. And it's a perfect time to get into one of these right now with this really, really exciting rookie class at the quarterback position. I mean, there couldn't be a better offseason to be doing a startup dynasty than right now before this 2021 season starts. We also have Kyle Pitts as a really interesting tight end. You talked about the dynamics of some of the really great tight ends right now being a little older and some of these young guys that are going to need to take this position into the next decade. Who are they going to be? Who are going to be the stars of, of the future at tight end? And there's going to be some. So there are so many elements to this that are intriguing. And you and I are going to are going to start one. We have not yet started, but we're going to start one this week. I'm very, very excited to do that with you. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an absolute blast. I've written on the site about some of these that I've done with Monty Fawn, who is a longtime uh, FFPC high stakes champion, one of the best high stakes players in the world. He does some dynasty as well. So to be able to bounce ideas off of him, work through, we'll talk a little bit about that draft. Uh, listeners know about Blair Andrews of the wrong read fame and some of the teams I've drafted with him. We'll go through one of those. And then one of the things that we get into in these dynasty startups. So one of the reasons why I love the RV triflex leagues, but also some of these leagues with the FFPC, where maybe you're playing people you don't know is they're actually very active in the trade market during the startup. Yeah. So I, I was saying to you before we came on that my dynasty sort of history is somewhat limited in the sense that I'm in uh, I'm in five leagues right now, I believe, and they're all industry leagues. And a lot of it is people that think a lot like me. And so we wind up in these sort of tough spots and some of these leagues are not very active trading wise. And I think in some ways it's because we're all sort of trying to move the same direction. But I've been, I've heard for a long time from a lot of different people, from Pat Corain, I've talked to a lot uh, about Dynasty, who, you know, Buddy Bar is now over at NBC Sports Edge from you, from, from many others, from, from a great article that you wrote that we're going to talk a little bit about from a startup that you did with Blair in Rotovis's Blair Andrews, obviously another, you know, big buddy of the the show, the the site, everything. I mean, huge part of Rotovis. I think we mentioned him at least once a week. I think that's a requirement and, and rightfully so. Uh, you guys had an awesome startup where you made a ton of trades and we're going to talk through that. The part of that that I think is so awesome that I really want to emphasize again, as we're sort of kind of pitching this new dynasty format over at FFPC is you get in leagues with people who don't necessarily think exactly like you do. It creates opportunities for everyone to kind of get the things they want out of trades. And Sean, you mentioned how we're going to talk more about trade strategy in, in show two, but everyone, Pat and you, what everyone has been telling me or what, what I was just alluding to is that these leagues are a lot easier to, to make trades in. They're, they're a lot more trade heavy. And I think that's really the fun part about dynasty. This article Sean, that you wrote, you talked through all of these trades. Some of them look like really challenging decisions. And it's funny, I just reread it this morning. 
You talk about where you guys traded back a lot. You did make a couple of trades up as well, but you highlighted the players that were ultimately picked at the, the picks that were moved around. And the ones that you guys received that you didn't actually make the picks, you italicized and showed how you had retraded that pick. And I got to one of your early trades as I was reading through this, and it was, you know, kind of jarring at, to, to see that you received the the 410 in one of these and T Higgins was the selection, but he was italicized. You hadn't actually made the pick. You guys had moved him again and you got into that a little later where you guys were hoping that he'd go a little bit later. Actually, he went pretty far ahead of ADP at the time of this startup, but that's sort of the, the push and pull. That's the challenge, right? You guys wound up moving a selection that became a player that you really were targeting and would have wanted to have. And so, you know, you can't win every single trade. You can't be put in these perfect positions. Certainly, that's something you talk about in this article that we're going to get into a lot. But being very active and being willing to make a lot of trades, you were able to construct a roster, even if you didn't get T. Higgins, one of your really uh, huge targets, able to construct a roster that you wanted to construct. And you and you have that flexibility in Dynasty. It is so much more, you know, interdimensional in the, in the sense that you can create really whatever you want to create. Interdimensional? <laughs> and, and one of the reasons why we love these startups is that as you go through the startup, these picks can represent all different kinds of players, right? One of the reasons why established leagues like you were referencing can start to be more challenging to trade in is simply that the people you have on your roster were the people that you were a little bit above the market on the people that the other players have the other participants, their players are people that they were a little bit above the market on. And now sometimes you do switch, right? But sometimes as your own perception of a player falls, the reason it's falling is because his overall value is falling. So it's not just that you can't get as much for him or you don't like him as much, but no one in your league is, right? And so if, if we look at this from the perspective of these established leagues with specific players, those players become harder to trade. But in startups, when you're moving forward, you're moving back, you're moving future rookie picks, Anybody could be anybody. And so you're thinking, okay, I'm going to move down or I'm going to move up and this pick can be my guy. And so we love that element of, it's one of the reasons why you have to be very active in startups because it sets the foundation for everything else you do. If you sit there and pick guys as they come to you. Now you do see some participants who do this and have great boards and have decent success and you avoid the stress of going through these trades. But one of the things that Monty referenced in his article, and Monty is not only uh, one of the best minds in high stakes, but he's pretty funny. And so I enjoy reading through his articles. He talks about how he was at dinner with the family and, you know, you're really not supposed to have cell phones at dinner. And so he had his kind of silence, but he was still getting the buzzes and like basically it was just all buzz all the way through dinner. And he, he looks back up and I had exchanged 16 trade offers with the person we were working on the trade. And we ended up making a trade where we moved like nine picks you know, five coming to us, four going the other other direction. And so <laughs> you're not going to make these trades without making the offers, but how you structure the offers is important. You make the first bad offer or the second bad offer, the trades discussions don't go anywhere, right? I mean, you have to be operating within a framework where the other person is interested in engaging in that discussion with you. So again, we'll go over more trading in episode two, but Ben, our topic for today is how do we build the permanent championship window? And I think when we look at Dynasty, you often hear people talk about win now versus win later. You also hear people talking about player valuations as they fit within the championship window of a given team. 
So a player is going to have more value to team A than it has to team B. That's obviously the case in a lot of different situations where a team does have a championship window that they're pushing into. Another team has either missed on their picks and has to rebuild or intentionally has put off competing for a year in order to have a super team later. So we have some of those elements going on. The thing that I talk about on Rotoviz a lot and really try and execute in all of my leagues, and it takes differing approaches depending on the league, but I talk about the permanent championship window and making sure that we win always. Now, people are going to say, well, you know, if you don't, if you don't want to actually admit that you're trying to win now or don't want to admit that you're trying to win later, you can claim that you're trying to win always. But, you know, is that really a thing? Can we do that? I talk a lot about perpetual reloading and how we would do that. So, Ben, as you're thinking about what we would want to do in our startup, do you have any sense of, of direction that you feel like we should go? Now, obviously, we want to win. And one of the reasons that these leagues where you don't know everybody else can be kind of fun is if you're playing in a $500 entry league or a 750 league, you know, leagues at the 1250 level are filling. People do place a little bit more emphasis on that first year because you've got to shell out serious cash to be involved and the prize is significant. And I like that element because it does keep you from an environment where everybody is punting, which you know, isn't necessarily as fun. It does create an element where some of these veterans are valuable, but then if you take that value and you try and win in year one, we do know that there are some severe costs. So as we look at this, what are your thoughts on this permanent championship window? What do we mean by perpetual reloading? Yeah. So when I started Dynasty several years ago, um, I, I think, and this is a, something I've I've seen in a lot of content and something that I've heard just you know on twitter and from a lot of people that are starting up dynasty it very much feels like you can get great value on players that we expect to be very good in redraft and it's it's it almost feels too easy to go for it in year one it feels like it's an absolute no-brainer and you'll figure out the rest we don't know anything you know we don't know what's going to happen any of these young players could get hurt they could have their careers derailed there is a lot of uncertainty with young players certainly so there's this the siren song, this allure, I think, with anyone who is starting an, in Dynasty to build through, you know, to build basically a redraft team. And if you decide you want to do that, you're going to build a really good team. The question is, number one, how long does that team maintain value? And I can say from experience, I think I did it fairly intelligently. I, I did still take, you know, younger prime players and things like that where, where, where I did this in a couple of startups. But it doesn't last that long. It lasts a couple of years, maybe three years. Most peaks in the NFL, we talk about this when we talked about redraft, that almost once a guy has proven that he's really good over multiple years, you're, you're already at that position where it is now risky to take him in the sense that it's very hard to consistently do that over so many years in the NFL. The the Larry Fitzgeralds was an example I threw out last uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago. Those are the the huge anomalies, the guys that are able to consistently do it for a really, really long time. And so I would say, yeah, I mean, from, from experience, I, you know, I've won some dynasty championships. I've, I won a year one dynasty championship in, in, you know, my second startup, it was great. It worked out very well. Part of that, I, it was a super flex and I was, you know, lucky enough to hit on Lamar Jackson, I believe going into a second year, maybe it was before his rookie year and Dak Prescott in the same startup in, you know, sort of the fourth or sixth round of a super flex, they weren't really going super high. 
and they've been, you know, kind of the cornerstones of my roster for a long time. But it is definitely a little bit more perilous to go that route than it is than it than it feels at first. And I the the thing that I believe and I've seen from a lot of people is that you you have this idea that's sort of a, an arc for everyone who plays Dynasty. You have this idea coming in the first time, like holy crap, look at all these values I can get from proven production that I know is going to be there. I can build a super team for year one. I'm going to go for the championship. And then over time, most people start to shift back toward, I want to try to be younger when I start these things. So when you're asking me what I'm thinking about for our draft, uh, we're going to talk about this idea of productive struggle with Ryan McDowell in, in, in show three this week. But that is certainly something that I am considering. I've never actually really fully gone that route in a startup. Um, I found it hard even in these last couple of years where I've been a little more open to it because I've been in some leagues with people who have done it even more aggressively than I have, including you, including Pat Crane, and including several people. Um, our buddy Davis Maddock, who we just drafted a team with recently, went very, very heavy that direction in a, an auction. You and I and Pat and, and he were all in last year right during the, the quarantine. And so it um, – you know, I wound up in that league taking a little – you know, a few more veterans than I than I wanted to and – I, I'm very excited about the idea of actually building a really young team. And when you talk about this idea of perpetual reloading, it really is the concept of what we've talked about in redraft, where you can build really good redraft teams utilizing youth and utilizing young players. Uh, one thing I think Pat Crane does really well in some of the leagues that I'm in with him is he does that very heavily, but he also mixes in a few aging superstars that are being really discounted. So a couple guys that he knows are going to basically – their, their value is going to expire in a couple of years, but they get discounted so heavily. No one wants to take them in dynasty, you know, the Julio Joneses or something. Um, that's obviously a pretty fragile pick, but if you're still building a ton of young picks and future picks and, and being smart, you can actually build sort of a super team for year one by not targeting any prime players, really going on the two edges, going for the a ton of young players and some really old ones that you're willing to just ride out the rest of their career that's a tricky balance. You don't want too many of those old players, but you can you can win that way, or you can just win by purely on young players, which is sort of our whole you know approach in redraft. That you can draft an entire team with first and second year players in redraft and have a really good chance to win your league in redraft. And that's sort of the lesson that I've learned over the last several years. I have had some success drafting some of these you know older rosters, but a lot of the people that I've seen do those in other startups too. They think they're going for it in year one. And they fail in year one, and you have you've essentially created yourself a timeline where you only have a couple opportunities. Anything can happen. You can just lose a playoff matchup, but you're, you've essentially created a couple of opportunities where things have to break right to win fantasy leagues, even, no matter how good your team is. And you have to win in those leagues or those years, or because if, if you don't, your your roster is going to collapse, and you're going to be doing a multi-year rebuild, and then you're hopefully going to be competitive again in like the sixth year of the dynasty or the seventh year of the dynasty. It's going to take several years. But my very first dynasty was sort of like that. I made the, I had a really good team, top scoring team a couple of times, I think, in the regular season. I got knocked out in the semifinals three straight years. That can happen in the playoffs. And then it sort of collapsed. I've made a couple bad trades and I'm, I'm on like year three of a rebuild or, or I think I'm going into year three of a rebuild. This is my, my first league. I think it started in 2016. So it is, it is jarring how quickly that catches up with you. And if you don't, hit it you're really taking a, a a very narrow timeline where you have to win a league basically and this whole idea that oh if i just win the league i'll pay my entry fees for several years or whatever 
you have to win the league. But even then, you know you're going to be bad in a couple of years. And if you don't win the league right away, you're in a really tough spot because now you have one of the worst rosters in the league potentially in, the, in a couple of seasons after that. So um, I really like the idea of building young. I'm excited to try that with you and really go heavy that way for the first time and, and sort of similar to how you and Blair did, which is something we want to talk about. Yeah, you mentioned that if you miss, then you can be in real trouble. I think one of the things that people who go for it in year one think is that if they do miss, you know, first of all, hopefully you win, but if you win or you lose, then you're going to be very bad. And that's different in terms of rebuilding after you're bad than rebuilding or punting from the beginning. Because when you punt in year one, then you have all of these extremely valuable assets that you can trade away. All of your picks early in the startup are worth a ton, right? And you can build so much depth and so much future firepower into your roster that it's very hard to beat you several years in. When you try and rebuild off of an old team, you don't have anything to trade, right? And so you end up having to go through that stretch of being bad, having some early picks. You really need to trade those early picks and not select guys that you want, even if you have the 101 or the 102, because you've got to create some depth and you've got to create some future value. And just having a couple guys doesn't do it. You know, you're not going to be able to get these picks that you need from the older players. And so your timeline to rebuild is not, you know, one or two years. It's it's five or six years. And it's usually a situation where the league ends or you know, you consider quitting before you get to that point, because it's just so difficult. There are two ways that I like to do it. We talk about the permanent championship window as opposed to punting. I have a really hard time with going in and having a bad team in any given year. I'm okay with losing. We talk about, uh, you know, what can happen. You can go in, you can have the very best team and lose in the semifinals. That happens all of the time, which is one of the reasons why you need to be in the playoffs every year. You need to have a buy almost every year because you're going to suffer upsets. Right. You need to be able to make it through some of those, win some championships, put yourself in a situation where you're actually the team creating the upset sometimes, which is one of the things you can do with some of these young teams. And so there are two different ways that I like to do it. The first way is to take your future picks and trade into the startup, but always be attacking young players who are going to increase in value. And so then you come out of those first five or six rounds and maybe you have seven or eight picks. Maybe people won't give you quite that much value. You come out of the first eight or nine rounds with 11 or 12 picks. That's something that Sam Wallace, a really awesome writer for Rotoviz, and I were able to do in one of the startups that we did earlier this offseason. Having extra young players means that your starting lineup is deeper. You're able to weather injuries. You're able to win the bye weeks. This idea of winning the bye weeks and weathering injuries, it's not just something that we do as zero running back to win in redraft. It's something that you have to emphasize in dynasty. You have to have the depth to win the flex, win the buys, sustain injuries, and keep on going, right? And then you're also in the situation where if your team isn't going to win, you have assets that people really want that you can trade back out of throughout the season. The other thing that you can do if the price to trade in is just through the roof, and in a lot of leagues in that startup, the price is crazy. And people will want you to spend, you know, your first, second, third, fourth pick in order to move in for, you know, something that's not that great. And you just can't buy that much. It doesn't make sense to do it. Then you trade down, 
right? And so one of the things I did with Monty, one of the things that I did with Blair was we moved down so much early. And we talked about how that first round could be very quarterback heavy. You know, you, you have to be okay to not get Christian McCaffrey, to not get one of these hybrid quarterbacks. But then again, to have a lot more picks than anybody else still in this range that matters. And so I think in both of those leagues had 13 picks in the first eight or so rounds. Now, a lot of those picks are centered in this four, five, six, seven, eight range. But again, we're looking at young guys in that range. We're looking at our favorite targets. So all of this that we've done, you know, for example, the Rotoviz rookie guide where you go deep into all of these players, you know, the, the top guys, the middle guys, the sleepers, you can have those guys for your late round picks, but you're targeting your guys and you're getting a lot of them. And then the other thing you're doing by trading down is you're creating a team where you can be competitive in the first season. And yet you've accomplished so much of the same things that you do if you punt completely. So in both of those leagues have three future first round picks, multiple future second round picks, multiple future third round picks. You take some of those, it's going to be hard to use all of those picks in next year's draft, trade back out of some of those. And you keep this sort of perpetual motion machine going right where you always have future first round picks, which in dynasty is the area that wins. One of the great articles that we have from Pat uh, back in the day on Rotobiz looks at some of our trade values and how trade values move through time. And one of the notes that he puts in that article is that if you were simply trying to maximize trade value on your team, you just always be trading for future picks because the value that these guys have. Now, it, it does make some sense to draft the rookies and let them go up into year two and then they quickly fall down. So one of the things that can be difficult is this idea of owning rookies on a year where they don't score quite as many points or don't score enough to be the huge impact players and then trade them before they have that impact. But the trade value at those points is extreme. And so you're getting to accomplish some of these things of punting but still are competitive. And so you mentioned this idea of having some veteran players, then it's late in these startup drafts where you want some of these veterans. But at the same time, if you've targeted young guys and targeted future picks, your team starts to become so valuable overall that you're able to make some moves and save some guys. So you trade out of a third of your young players, keep the other two thirds. Those guys move into their peak seasons as NFL players they score you the points to win the championship while well, you still have guys to trade off and build for this future. But then also, you know, as a throw in, you can get a veteran star because the teams that are in deep trouble and are really needed to rebuild will give you one of those guys in a throw in for some of your picks. So you have that guy to also compete with in that season. So I don't want to make it sound like this is, is simple to do or that you can do it without creating a good relationship with your league mates or you can do it without some solid player evaluation. Listeners know we've talked about how to evaluate players in a variety of different ways through the shows, but there are multiple paths to doing it. There's not just one route, but you have to have the flexibility in terms of trading back or trading in in order to create that total amount of young value. The number one wins for you and number two increases in trade value. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've been very well said all throughout. Uh, another really important thing that we're going to talk about just after the break is the idea of you know structural dynamics, positional, structural 
drafting and, and what positions we want to be targeting and, and all of those things. And we'll hit that in just a few minutes. I just want to take a second to thank you for tuning in to today's show. My name is Colin Kelly, co-host of the Road of His Overtime podcast, along with the great Sean Siegel. We do appreciate each and every listener. And as a thank you to each of you, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL pass. We're heading at full speed towards the season. Make sure you're ready. Get yourself access to all the content and tools up on the Road of His website. All you have to do is add the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout to get yourself that 10% discount. Now let's go and dominate those fantasy leagues in 2021. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. So, Sean, just before the break, you were talking about how important it is to, to have youth on our rosters. One thing I would say, especially as we get into these sort of these triflex leagues, we get into superflex, we get into tight end premium, where you can go any direction at any position virtually in every round, is that structural dynamics and, and structural drafting and the way that you're planning your roster, I think it is so much more important than it already is. And it's already incredibly important and more important than most people realize. And if you, you know, if just as a quick aside, a shout out to, to Sal Stefanilli, who does the, does a lot of work with two QBs. He had uh, a recent redraft Superflex guide. I wrote a structural drafting piece for, it's about 6,000 words. Sean, I know you participated in the uh, mock draft there. It's about 10 bucks. You can use the promo code Ben and, and get, I think 11% off, but yeah, go out and, and find that and, and, and support that. It's, uh, a portion of, the proceeds go to the uh, the national man. I don't know the the exact charity, but it is in support of uh, domestic violence victims. What I wrote about in that in that structural drafting feature in that, and what I believe very strongly is that when you get into superflex, when you get into tight end premium, when you structural drafting becomes so much more important. One of the the main reasons is people who don't do or, or don't sort of care about structural drafting, and they try to just go best player available and those things in a single quarterback league and especially in a non-tight end premium league, they're almost getting free squares in a single quarterback league. We pretty much know in today's day and age, you don't take quarterbacks in the first round. 
the elite dual threat quarterbacks are now kind of worth some draft capital. Most people know otherwise that late round quarterback is, is more viable. You can't really go that far off track in a normal one QB league from a structural perspective. And you can't really go that far off track at tight end either. No one's necessarily or, or often at least hammering a bunch of tight ends in, in areas where they shouldn't be. But when you have to make more picks at those positions, it becomes really important how to, to how to build them in structurally. And then all of the lessons that are always very important at wide receiver and, and running back become very, very important. And in dynasty, this stuff over multiple seasons is incredibly important. This is one thing that has sort of saved me in some of my startups I was talking about where I went a little older is I at least was of the mind from just the way I played and, and the way that, you know, Sean, you've written about from zero RB from 2013, long before I started, started dynasty and, and sort of uh, just understanding the value of wide receivers. I was willing to be wide receiver heavy. And that is a huge part of it in dynasty wide receivers are going to hold value longer running backs are not, they're going to lose value very quick in some situations. And I learned early, I, I made a trade for Devonte Adams. I think I traded Tavon Austin for Devonte Adams and one other guy going into his third year when Adams had done almost nothing just to, to have him in case he had some, some upside there. I was mildly interested. And I think um, you being very interested that offseason influenced that to a certain degree, seeing how quickly Devonte Adams value rose. I learned very quickly how important in dynasty it is to have these assets, these players, and I don't want to always keep referring to them as assets. They are humans, but these players that are gaining just a ton of value can completely reshape your league and your roster, your, your whole outlook going forward. And, you know, I referenced it with the super flex that I did several years ago where I started with Lamar Jackson and, and Dak Prescott in maybe the fourth or sixth round in a super flex, which were, you know, maybe quarterback 15, quarterback 20 types. And they have been basically first round picks in that format in startups almost ever since. What that does for your roster, especially when you think about how you should attack startups, is you don't miss out on the fact that you traded out of maybe your first or second round picks and you were willing to just stockpile young players that had the ability to grow. When you stockpile a bunch of those players, you have a couple of hits and very quickly, even in year one for your roster, but especially into the future in terms of player value, your roster does have players that are valued as first and second round players. You're not missing out on superstars, you know, presuming you hit some. And that's a big part of this idea of trading back and stockpiling a lot of picks is you're, you're targeting the right types of players that can gain value, which Sean talked about. You're also making more bets because you're adding picks in those ranges and you're, and you're getting a discount and, and basically paying for tomorrow's first round picks rather than today's. Sean, what are your thoughts on, on sort of how to approach things structurally and how that fits into the, the, the youth builds that we were talking about? Yeah, there are a number of interesting kind of interlocking concepts here where in Dynasty, we know that running backs in a lot of ways are even riskier than they are in redraft. And we know they're extremely risky in redraft. At the same time, if you're going to build a dynasty champion, you usually need to have a team, especially once you get two, three, four years in, and the teams that have executed well are starting to distance themselves from the pack. You need to have a team that's far better than the best possible redraft team, right? You're going to go in and you're looking at your dynasty team, and you're going to need to see a team that has the equivalent of like two or three first round picks, two or three second round picks, two or three third round picks in terms of what they're currently valued at in a redraft, if you want to have a team that can be a dynasty champion. 
And some of that means exposure to running backs. You know, so, so how do we do that? I did an interesting study, or at least was interesting to me, sort of toward the tail end of last year, going back and looking at these last five or six rookie drafts and seeing that we always hear about how quickly the value falls off from, say, you know, the 101 to the 112. I split the two groups uh, going through using our Dynasty ADP tool, finding out where these guys were drafted, took the top six picks and the bottom six picks in that first round. And what I found was that there actually wasn't that big of a gap between the two groups. And the reason why was because the seven through 12 picks were more wide receiver heavy. And so those guys end up being like you mentioned, you know, the Devontae Adams types of players, the Michael Thomas types of players. Not only do wide receivers, are you just moving one of the positions essentially into the second half of the first round, but you're moving the position that holds its value better into the second half of the first round. And so one of the things that you find out here is that as opposed to having rookie drafts fix the problem for the weaker players, there, there is an element where the strong teams keep getting stronger because they're drafting from this wide receiver group. And so when people talk about, okay, well, I am looking at a, this future trade, I'm going to get a future first, but it's going to be the 110, you know, not the 103. How do I want to consider that? Well, number one, if it's super flex, because those quarterbacks are going to move the picks down to the point where, you know, those guys are extremely valuable. You look at this current year's draft and you have Kyle Pitts, uh, you know, you have those rookie running backs, which, you know, are a little bit controversial because Harris appears to have such a, a better volume situation in year one, but there are some reasons why he's probably the weakest of the three overall from a dynasty perspective. You have a Jamar chase in this draft. A lot of times in Superflex, those guys are not going in the first three or four picks because you have a Trey Lance in there. You have a Justin Fields in there. People need to have those QBs. So the first thing we want to do is make sure that we're trading for future firsts and trading for future seconds that are in the that look like they're going to be in the first half of the second round because those picks are very valuable, but we know that we can continue to get wide receiver value. And you look at the value that 21 year old wide receivers have as they head into year two and it just explodes. And so, you know, we look at some of the young guys coming into the NFL. Now we've talked about the Moors, you know, at length, we want to make sure we're creating a lot of exposure to these young wide receivers because the value that they kind of give back in year one by not maybe having an impact in the first half of their rookie seasons, that blows up in terms of future trade value. That's the answer to the question of how we get these running backs, right? And so for running backs, I'm looking to do a couple of things. The first thing is that, the, again, the 21-year-old running backs have extreme value right away and when they go into year two. So you look at someone like a Javante Williams, who is the third most valuable of those guys, both in rookie drafts and in startups, he's someone where if you can trade into that area, it's very appealing, both from a production perspective, because he's got some cool things about his profile, but also from an age perspective, because we think, oh, well, you know, these guys are rookies. It's all basically the same thing. You know, you're in a situation where they're all one play away from being out of the NFL, sadly. So, you know, let's make sure we prioritize the present. The trade value trajectory for these guys, it's even much more brutal than the actual age curve that we talk about, where once they move forward a little bit, then that trade value really falls off. 
But then the second thing that we can do in terms of trying to get some exposure is we look at these guys who maybe didn't have the huge first season. So Christian McCaffrey was an obvious one to go after hardcore. Le'Veon Bell, someone who was obvious to go after hardcore. Right now, I think that you've got a little bit of an opportunity to go after an Edwards Alaire, a little bit of an opportunity to go after a Swift, those kinds of guys. It's not that they're free by any extent, but they have this potential to give you a lot of value this year, which is important because we do need to have that running back scoring to win, and then you can trade back out of them. So, you know, you get the David Johnson, you play him, you trade back out. You get Le'Veon Bell, you play him, you trade back out. You don't know when it's going to be. Unfortunately, David Johnson really only had the one big year. In a lot of my leagues, I traded Le'Veon Bell before a couple of his subsequent big seasons, which, you know, when that happens, you know, you wish you had him in the roster, but you have to continue turning over the team because you have to continue to get these young running backs in, be able to play them and move them because if you hold them, then you get back in that situation where your team is starting to hemorrhage value. You've got this hole in the bottom of the bucket. And it really is a matter of volume and trusting your belief in the running back profiles to give you the kind of guys that you want, to give you the trade value that you want, and get that production to where you can win. There are only a handful of guys that I would really sit on and kind of let the value play out. Uh, and, and even that can be hard because – you know, who has the most value? Well, someone that you would like so much that you would hold on to yourself. But Christian McCaffrey, we've seen some of the guys with his profile actually score pretty well, you know, after age 25. But with McCaffrey, because he can give you that five to seven point edge on everybody in your league, you need that in Dynasty again, right? Because you have to have a team that is so much better than what a normal team would be. McCaffrey is an interesting one, but this churn at the running back position is really what dynasty is all about. And then, as you mentioned, you've got to just layer in with wide receiver star after wide receiver star after wide receiver star. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like I'm just learning as we're going here. I, I love listening to you talk about dynasty and there's a lot of things there that we could spend another half an hour on, but we are getting close to the end of this show. There is one question that I want to ask you pretty specifically as it relates to these strategies, we talked about a lot of concepts that revolve around young players, perpetual um, championship windows. Sometimes you get into leagues where a lot of people are trying to do the same thing. And I've definitely been in those leagues with some of these industry ones where there are a lot of people trying to build young. I mean, I don't think that that is a very common thing around the dynasty community, at least based on a lot of the, the conversations that I see. But if you do find yourself in a league that's very extreme in this regard, is there ever a point where you start to target the veterans or start to target players that maybe have a little bit more fragile long-term value retention profiles because essentially the value becomes too good? Or do you try to sort of turn into the skid and go even further young because you really are concerned essentially about ever being able to keep up with those other teams that are doing it from that long-term perspective and in that long-term window? That's an interesting question, I think, from the perspective of if we get into a sort of a structural drafting or valuing element that is not working because everyone is doing it or because we get a little bit behind, are there some other directions that we can go? One of the things that I think that you have to look at, first of all, is simply this idea of, I need to have this super team 
And yet I also want to not get too worried or panic about teams that appear to be better because, and, and I am in a variety of leagues with Ryan, who we've mentioned is just unbelievable at this. And some of those leagues I've come into as he's asked me to take over an orphan and I'm like, well, yeah, that'd be fun. It, it is a different challenge to try and rebuild a mess that maybe somebody left behind. And then you look around at some of their teams, you're like, I can be competitive. And then you look at Ryan's team and you're like, if I do everything perfectly for five years, I'm still nowhere close to this juggernaut he's already built. And yet one of the things that does happen there is that those players do age out and they age out faster than you would think. You know, a Des Bryant becomes, you know, a free agent when it seems like he was just right there in his prime. Players get hurt. One of the things that we have seen a lot in the last couple of years that's been frustrating and infuriating are quarterbacks getting hurt and then quarterbacks doing weird things. And I know that one of the juggernauts that I've been competing with Ryan on, you know, has a Deshaun Watson and then suddenly it doesn't. And the team looks very different. The team that I have in this league that I've been playing with you and, and some of the guys we've already had on the show, I think three of the guys we've already had on the show uh, where it was an auction league to start last year i had deshaun watson and i was very excited about this team with watson and kyler murray and i'm thinking okay well then you know i add carson wentz because you need to have that third quarterback for the super flex and suddenly you've got this young team you've got these quarterbacks and you feel like okay as long as i don't blow it now i'm going to be in the top two or three for the next five or six years and some of those years i will win even if i have some bad luck in the playoffs well, then Deshaun Watson does what he does. Carson Wentz's career falls apart. And then you're right back down at quarterback and you've got a lot that you have to do. So I think it's key not to panic when you see the super teams other people have because they fall apart quickly. And that's one of the reasons why we're always trying to perpetually reload, always trying to trade our guys before they go to zero because they can go to zero so quickly. If you have a trade out there for one of your stars that allows you to do multiple things in the future. Don't look at it from the perspective of, okay, I'm in the championship window. I can't let any of these guys go. You always need to get deeper. Now, one of the elements that we do get to occasionally is you get to your 30 man roster and you think, well, 30, you know, how can I ever fill that up with guys who are good? But you do this for several years and then you get into a situation where it's like, okay, well, I filled the 30. And now, you know, how much of the value do I want to offload into the future? What do I want to do for the present? You asked about going after these veterans. And I think there are some interesting things that you can do where you can get them in throw-ins when people realize that nobody else is willing to pay for them. That doesn't happen all the time and, and people won't always give you those guys in throw-ins, but sometimes that will happen. You can get these guys in free agency when a young team or a rebuilding team is opting for your, your Nico Collins, your Anthony Schwartz, your Jacob Harris kinds of guys. I'm not suggesting that's the wrong path. I mean, I, I like those guys, but that will occasionally cause you to cut a Jamison Crowder or a Sterling Shepard. Those are just some names that, you know, we see floating around where it's like, you know, I don't know if that guy is more than a roster clogger, but if I'm in a situation where I want to build some depth for right now for a bye week, you know, I could look at that. One of the things in these startups that tends to happen is you have some of the most exciting veterans go early, but then you'll go through this big time period where that second tier of veterans falls and falls and falls and falls. Well, if you've gotten yourself into a situation where you've drafted 12 players in the first eight rounds 
and you're looking at, okay, what do I do with spot 13, 14, 15? And there's a huge gap between the year one and two value of a veteran versus what you can realistically expect from a rookie. I think the exploitable opportunity in terms of young versus old comes late in drafts where people are taking pure flyers ahead of players who really can con contribute to your dynasty team, to your fantasy team right now. Absolutely. Very well said. And I'm excited to talk more with you on the second episode where we're going to talk a little bit more about trades. We're going to talk about player valuations. And then we're going to hit a lot on some interesting players where their redraft and dynasty ADPs don't really align and don't make a lot of sense when you look at them sort of in conjunction with each other, what redrafters are thinking or what dynasty players are thinking in terms of what they'll do in 2021 and what that means for the future. There's some very clear opportunities when you do that. Uh, make that comparison. That's something that Brian Malone did years ago at Rotoviz, uh, one of my favorite types of analysis. Um, so a lot coming in show two, and then in show three, we're also going to have the great Ryan McDowell on to talk a lot more about many of these concepts you've laid out here today, Sean. So yeah, I feel like thanking you as the guest because I feel like I just learned a lot. I was taking notes and like I, I, I was just pulling up my own dynasty rosters. I think probably half of our listeners were as well. Um, but yeah, that'll do it. I think for today's episode of stealing bananas so as ben says that will do it for today's show thanks so much for listening to this episode of stealing bananas i'm sean siegel uh, if you want a very relaxing follow on twitter you can look me up there whatever my handle happens to be ben gretch whom you can follow at yards per gretch and as you mentioned make sure you subscribe to his Substack. stealing signals is the best newsletter in the fantasy community it is the best fantasy buy that you'll make Subscribe to our feed to get these new episodes this week as they release. Please drop us a rating and review. So many of you have done that. We appreciate that so much. We're going to have the results of our contest soon where you will win or one listener will win a six-month subscription to Rotoviz. If you want to save 10% on our content coming up, including my zero RB candidates for the 2021 season, you can use the code RV Radio. 2021 at checkout to get 10% off. And until we chat with you again, keep drafting.